0: message today is called the Reappearing Act. Acts 1, verse 3. Jesus also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. After the, after the resurrection, Jesus made several appearances to his disciples and to his followers. Not to just show that he was alive, but to continue to teach. Teachers teach, that's what they do. And so the greatest teacher of all time, he continued to teach. And so he continued to teach what they needed to know about the kingdom. And so today we're going to look at some of these different appearances and understand what Jesus was trying to teach with the hopes that we understand and receive that lesson for ourselves. Jesus first appeared to Mary Magdalene near the tomb. And told her the glorious news of the resurrection. Which made her in effect. The first missionary. Jesus appeared to a woman. And made her the first missionary. Now we are a strong missionary church. We believe greatly in giving to missions. From the very beginning. Jesus gave her the command. Go and tell. And that's what she did. She went to the disciples. And told the good news. Of a resurrected Savior. So thus this. Uh, this first reappearance as as he rose from the dead set evangelism into motion. Therefore we need to continue to evangelize. Not just think that we're okay, we're all set. We need to continue to share Jesus with others. That's how we grow, not just the church but the church of God around the world, the body, is is to continue to tell that Jesus is alive. How do you tell someone that Jesus is alive when they live in difficult times? I have a we have an exchange student daughter, we've talked about her before, who lives in Ukraine. And I was, I've been messaging with her and talking to her quite frequently. And I just, today um, in Ukraine is when they, the Orthodox Church celebrates um, a resurrection. And so I, how do I, I don't just say happy resurrection. I mean, how, how do you do that? And so God brought me to a passage where Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And the fact of the matter is, we all face difficult times, but what the, the good cheer is, we know that our life does not end here. We have a home in heaven, where God wipes away every tear from our eyes, where God gives us hope and unites all of us, our loved ones, again, who put their faith in Jesus Christ, and that's the hope that we hold on to. So that's what we share with people, even even in difficult times, is we have a hope and a fire that burns forever in our hearts because of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Mark 16:11. when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, by Mary Magdalene, they did not believe. You see, after all that Jesus had gone through with the arrest and the torture and the crucifixion, the burial, and ultimately his resurrection, his very disciples, who he lived with for year, three years, even some of them, did not believe. What more could he have done? Well, a little later he appeared to two of them as they walked on a road to a, a place called Emmaus, a nearby village, Luke 24, 15 and 16. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, and so they did not know him. Now understand, they had been the disciples of Jesus. They had walked with him and been during all these teachings. But then now he comes alongside and it starts to talk with them and they did not even know it was Jesus. It says that their eyes were restrained. So they were unable to recognize him by sight. But they still didn't know him by his voice or by his message. His resurrection was simply not on their radar. Because he had died... They were unable to see and accept the fact that he was with them here right now talking to them. And this was one of his lengthiest of reappearances after his resurrection, one of the longest times where he was with someone talking. The telltale sign about this exchange is that they must have only known him by sight to begin with, meaning they were so focused on the things that he did that they never got to know him personally never got close enough to Him to know Him personally. If they had experienced Him personally, they would have recognized His voice. They would have sensed the change in their spirits. They would have recognized the familiar conviction in their hearts as they came near to Him. So let me ask you, what are your conversations like with Jesus? During the course of your prayer time, do you generally do more talking Or more listening? Do you focus more on what you need? Or more on what Jesus has already done for you? If you find that your prayers are dominated more by you than by God, then you may be on your own own road to Emmaus and not even realize that Jesus is trying to speak to you. Prayer is not just about reciting words or saying words or asking God what we need. Prayer is spending time with God and letting him speak to us that's why prayer and bible reading together are so crucial if we read and that God would direct us to a scripture and we and we know that God speaking to us then we take time to listen to him not just talk to him each side is important because it's a conversation but we need to understand that we need to be spending time with God and letting him speak to us as well to continue as the two disciples the two disciples walked with Jesus they were saddened by the events that had transpired that took their king away. Luke 24, verses 25 and 26. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? See, these disciples who claimed to have known so much about Jesus were not able to connect the many, many prophecies of the Old Testament that talked about the Messiah. So, Jesus, being the good teacher, connected the dots for them. Verse 27 And beginning at Mo- Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Wouldn't you like to be in that conversation? What did he say? Well, You know, what what prophecies did he tie together? What stories did he bring up? What parts of scripture did he emphasize? We don't know exactly for sure, but I can tell you this, that Jesus is foretold and prophesied and described throughout the entire Old Testament almost as much as the New Testament. Don't believe me? I want to show you. This reappearance reappearance gave a living timeline that connected the old to the new and filled in every gap. In Genesis, it states that the Messiah would be born of the seed of a woman and he would be a king in the line of Judah. In the lives of Abraham and Isaac, we have a picture of God the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. I shared this last week, that the life of Jesus gives us a clear type of what would be fulfilled The life of Isaac gives us a clear type of what would be fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Genesis 22 and 1 and 2. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Isaac, whom Abraham loved, was to be a sacrifice on Mount Moriah. This was actually the same mountain range upon which Calvary stood. This is the name, this is the same name of the place that approximately four years later God would allow his son to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. Notice also that God spoke of the love that Abraham had for Isaac. How many of you know that when, when this passage when God spoke of the love, that this is the first time that love is used in the Bible? When God is showing how much Abraham loved his son, his only son. And while it speaks of Abraham's love for Isaac, it's a picture of the love which God the Father had for Jesus. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. While Abraham carried the fire and the knife, it was left for Isaac to carry the very wood on which he would be sacrificed. This again pictures the Lord Jesus who, while he was physically able, also carried his own wood, the cross, on the way to Golgotha where he was crucified. Verse 7 and 8. Isaac spoke up and said to his his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Just as Isaac was set to take the place of the lamb for the sacrifice, Jesus became the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And as we know, a ram in the thicket was provided in place for Isaac. Likewise, Jesus took the place for all mankind. We deserve to be on that cross because of our sins. But Jesus took our place to be our sacrifice, to atone for our sins. Now the book of Genesis does not stop there with just this one comparison, but continues with other types of Christ as well. Take, for instance... The life of Joseph. Joseph was the rejected brother. He was betrayed for silver coins. He was falsely accused. And when he was in the dungeon, he was surrounded by two prisoners, just like Jesus. Ultimately, what the enemy had intended for evil against Joseph, God turned around it for good, to save his family. Then, of course, we have the life of Moses. At the time of Moses' birth, Pharaoh ordered the death of all male Hebrew babies. Similarly, King Herod ordered the murder of children under two to kill Jesus. Both escaped. Moses was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, while Joseph adopted Jesus. Neither was raised by their biological father. Both acted as intercessors for the people. Moses pleaded to God many times on behalf of the Israelites when they sinned. And after the Israelites worshipped the golden calf, Moses offered his life in exchange for his people. Jesus also offered his life for the sins of the world. And even right now, Jesus is right now at the right hand of the Father advocating and interceding for us. Both Moses and Jesus Both led God's people out of slavery. Moses freed the Israelites from physical slavery in Egypt. And Jesus freed his people from the spiritual bondage of sin and death. They both, Moses and Jesus, they both mediated a covenant. They both gave commandments. They both performed miracles. They both spoke to God face to face. And they both were transfigured on a mountain after spending time with God. Then, of course, there was the Passover lamb during the plagues of Egypt. The night before the final plague, God instructed the Israelites to select a lamb without blemish, to kill it without breaking any of its bones, and to apply some of its blood around the house. And when God saw the blood of the lamb, he passed over the household, and the destroyer did not enter, thus saving all who put their faith in the Lord we know that Jesus was the perfect Passover lamb. He became the last and greatest Passover lamb. He was the lamb of God. He was perfect without blemish, without sin. He was crucified and all of his bones were intact. And by his blood, many people have been saved. And as the blood of the slain lamb protected the Israelites from God's wrath, the blood of of Jesus Christ protects all of us. As he died and shed his blood, he protects us from the wrath of God against sin. We are prevented from judgment because of the blood of Jesus. Also in the Old Testament, we see manna from heaven. We see the rock that was struck at Horeb. Throughout the writings of Moses, everything points to Jesus if you go into there looking for Jesus. If you just read it as a history book, you're not going to able to find Jesus. But if you say, I want to see Jesus, everything becomes alive. And you can see that God all along was preparing his people. That it's a wonder that the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, and so many people did not know Jesus, even though they thought they knew the law. But God is throughout the Old Testament. God has always been trying to shine a light on his plan for your life and a plan for redemption. You could also see Jesus in the person of Joshua. He led the people into the promised land. Boaz was the kinsman redeemer. The life of Jonathan was a faithful friend. And on and on. In Psalms, the Lord is our good shepherd. He is also the suffering servant and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is all over the Old Testament. Then of course you come to the prophets whose very purpose was to foretell of the coming of the Lord. In Isaiah alone the Messiah would be born of a virgin. He would be called Emmanuel, God with us. He would heal the blind, the lame, the deaf. He would be preceded by a forerunner. He would be whipped and beaten. He would die as a guilt offering for our sin and be resurrected and live forever. We could go on and on to see Jesus in every book of the Bible. And again, I give this to you. He's in the Old Testament almost more than he is in the New Testament. As Jesus surely expounded on these things to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Though the disciples were slow to believe, they later talked with one another about this exchange that they had with the resurrected Christ. Luke 24, verse 32. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? When Jesus talked to them on the road to Emmaus, they reported that their hearts burned within them. But when they talked about Jesus earlier, before he joined them, there was no burn. Why is that? Jesus drew on scriptures to explain himself. You see, his first long discord or message after his resurrection came through sharing the living word of God. Why should our sharing of the gospel be any different? When you share the gospel, do you share what Jesus has done for you? Do you share where you were and what Jesus brought you through and how you trust him and where you are today? Are you sharing the living word of God? Because the living Word of God has hope. And that's what this world needs. Hope through a resurrected Savior. It's not about a method or an analogy or a word picture or a series of questions. Many people don't share Jesus because they don't know the the formula. The formula is he's living in your heart. That's how you can prove that Jesus is alive today. He's living in your heart. He's brought you through difficult times. In fact, you might be in a very difficult time right now. I know I am. But I know that my resurrected Savior has given me hope that that's what I look forward to. Jesus endured the cross. He went through the cross for the joy that lay before him. As we continue to trust in Jesus and continue to come together as a body and encourage one another, we all get the victory that Jesus secured for us at Calvary. Amen? Amen. The living Word of God is laid out in a way that connects the old to the new, especially for people who were so focused on the old. It is this exchange that causes our hearts to burn within us and yearn for more of Him. This truth is that we all have is that we need to have a a burning in our hearts which becomes like a flame that is fanned with greater intensity the more it is fueled by the power of Jesus and His Word. Now, from time to time, we all have false motives and false beliefs and things that we attempt to build our life upon. But when the uncompromised truth comes, it burns all the falsity away. So in places where we once were insecure and full of anxiety and confusion, now there's a clearing. Think of it like a forest fire that needs to occur to burn up all the fallen trees. I was out driving around yesterday out north of Roscommon looking at land and just seeing all the places, whether it was clear-cut or whether it was forest fire, all these places have been cleared. But the, knowing what you understand is that eventually growth has to come. A Forest fire is God's way of burning stuff on the ground so that new life can come up in a spiritual sense. Many times over our lives we have wounds and hurts and misunderstandings and unfulfilled dreams, and that stuff kind of gets in the way sometimes. And so God says in a time of repentance, if we go to God and we go through a trial and we trust God, then we no longer see the trial. We see God bringing us through the trial. And what happens is he burns up all that stuff that gets in the way that we like to complain about and make excuses for or that just keeps us from God, and we learn to trust God even more through the trials. As we do that, God burns away the sin in our lives or the misconceptions in our lives or the hurt so that we can know that we are in the presence of God. That burn is needed when we experience God through the living word. To know that God, the Father, the King of the universe is with us right now and speaking to us. But the burn will not come in casual conversation. It will not come in listening to the opinions of others. It doesn't come by attending church once in a while or occasionally studying the Bible. It only comes by spending uncompromised time focused on the word with Jesus. We're not reading about Jesus, we're speaking with Him and listening to Him as we read. You see, the burning started when they switched from talking about Jesus, about all the things that happened, and they switched to talking with Jesus. There was a conversation. And though they did not recognize Him until later when they broke bread with Him, they knew something was different when they felt the burn. How about you? Can you feel the burn every time you pray? When you read and meditate on the Word, can you feel that burn? If not, then maybe you need to change your focus and realize that you are not studying about Jesus, but rather interacting with Him personally. we just saying we serve a risen Savior. This is not a history book. This is a living Word where God still speaks to us today. If we go into time in the Word expecting God to speak to us, He will. If you go into the Old Testament expecting to find Jesus, you will be overwhelmed by the evidence. If you go into the New Testament expecting to learn about the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be overwhelmed by the evidence. But if you don't go in expecting, you won't see what God has intended for all of us to have. We see these appearances were more than just visible evidence to prove the resurrection. For without an intervention from God, no one would believe. Not back then nor even now. But thanks to God who did intervene by sending us the Holy Spirit to convict us and to open our minds through faith to know Christ and receive him into our hearts. It said that Jesus opened the scriptures to them, which means when we go to the Bible, we need to ask God, open the scriptures to us. Holy Spirit, give me understanding. Help me understand. Not just what happened, but how you how you want to apply it directly to my life. And if we ask him, God is faithful. Without the Holy Spirit, no one can receive Jesus, no matter how well they think they know him or how well they understand him. John six forty four. Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up the last day. We see this truth again and again. Look at this passage in Matthew 28, 16-17. The eleven disciples went again into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Now these were not just all the people in the crowds; These were his disciples who had lived with them. And even he was risen with them and appeared to them, and still some doubted. They had seen him, they had touched him, they had interacted with him, but still even they doubted him. Was it because they lacked faith? No. It was because they lacked the Holy Spirit to prepare them and convict their hearts and to open them up to have faith to believe. This is why the Holy Spirit was sent. For without the helper and the comforter, we would not be guided into the greatest truth that God has to offer. There's so much that we can learn about Jesus and about the kingdom of God by studying the post-erection appearances of Christ. Luke 24, verses 36 and 37. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened. And suppose that they had seen a Spirit. Jesus knew that they were distraught and afraid, and so he led with peace. For that is what they needed before they could receive anything from him. If you are in a time of hurt and pain and confusion and fear, even though God is speaking all around you and people maybe work coming alongside of you, the first thing you need to know is peace. That's why Jesus' first word to them was peace. After the crucifixion, they had become unsettled. Everything that they thought was going to happen for their Messiah fell through. Jesus knew the first thing they had to have was peace. There are many times when Jesus speaks to a soul in doubt and despair, anguish and sadness and fear and confusion. And he knows that unless peace is received and established, little good can be done. Therefore, his first word to them and to us, But this is more than an instruction to stay calm. There's power in the spoken Word of God, and you have to believe that God's Word has power. It's the same Word He said when a a storm came upon the disciples at the sea. He said, peace, be still. And the very storm obeyed Jesus. After all His disciples had been through, Jesus knew that fear and doubt and confusion raged among them and through them. It's the same thing He begins with when He speaks to you and I. The problem is that we often cannot hear Him and we do not hear Him. His command of peace, because we're too focused on looking for a specific answer to one of our prayer requests. And God's saying, stop asking, just receive my peace. Just spend time in my presence. Just worship me. Just receive my peace first. Because if not, we're so focused on an answer We don't receive the peace so that we can receive the answer. Jesus has to lay a foundation of peace before anything else can be built upon it. Therefore, we must expect to receive his peace before we can receive anything else and before anything else is exchanged. So was this appearance solely to give us his peace? No. There's so much more. Luke 24, verse 38. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed him his hands and his feet. Jesus showed them his hands and his feet as well as his side where that spear went through. In fact, he appeared to them later with another one of them present and he allowed them to actually touch the wounds in his hands. Verse 27 of John 20. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do do not be unbelieving, but be believing. Too many times this is talked about and, and Thomas is shamed for doubting. The story was not given to put shame on Thomas for doubting. There's so much more that we need to see. The most curious thing about this passage of Jesus appearing is that he appeared in his resurrected body at a time when all things were supposed to have been made new, but he has holes in his hands and holes in his feet and a hole in his side. Why did that happen if all things are made new? Why does Jesus still have holes in his hands? Was it solely to prove that it was him because of their unbelief? Or could there be more to it? Certainly these holes serve to continually remind us of his sacrifice to us. But is there anything else? I believe there is. And I believe that the application to us is revelational in understanding our calling by God. Even when we come to God and are forgiven of our sins and are restored, we remain on this earth. In our same bodies, and most often in our same situations. But now that we have been redeemed by His blood, we are able to accomplish His will and His purpose in His power. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4 7. We have this treasure, speaking of the Holy Spirit, in earthen vessels, how He lives inside of us, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Christ resurrected. Form in a body still had holes in it. It perfectly exemplifies how God heals us and repurposes us, but He does so with our own bodies and in our own families and in our own workplaces and in our own circles of influence. So we may have been changed by our spirit, but we are still in the same locations. He doesn't turn us into robots and make us all the same, He uses our personalities. You may think I'm crazy. You should have seen me in high school and college before I knew Jesus. I was nuts. But guess what? God allowed me to be crazy for Him now. He didn't change my whole personality. I'm just using it in a positive way. I use it to give glory to God. God gives us these gifts. And many times people use the gifts for the world or for themselves. And God says, I'm going to redeem you and repurpose you. And those same gifts I gave you, I want you to use them to give glory to God. Amen? Amen? All of you are unique. All of you have gifts. Some of you have great gifts of hospitality. That's awesome for gathering people. We need to gather people and bring them to Jesus. Some of you have great gifts of compassion, great gifts of building, and great gifts of management. God's looking for all that in His family so we can build the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. God doesn't change us. The idea that Jesus had holes in His hands shows us that we're redeemed But we're still in our same places so that we can bring people to God. He doesn't give us a new body here. The Bible says that one day he'll give us a new tent, a new tabernacle, a new body. Built not by human hands but by God. We all get brand new bodies, amen, when we get to heaven. Right now God uses us in our place, in our communities, in our neighborhoods. Redeems us with his purpose. He uses all of our personalities and our talents and our uniqueness. We, we are still ourselves with our same experiences, but now we have, been, we have been redeemed and have the power of God living on the inside of us. How much stronger is a witness that has been broken, that has scars of hurt and failure, and has made many of the same, same mistakes before? But then now, with God in you, you can rise above that. And you have hope. That is why God uses us all by His grace and His power for His purpose. God sees victory when He sees you, because He sees you through the blood of Jesus who has redeemed you. We need to walk in that same victory. No, we're not perfect. We're far from it. Yes, we make mistakes and we still have a sin nature. But we're no longer bound by the guilt of that. We're bound for glory, our, our glory home, because of Jesus Christ. He doesn't pull us out of the world. He redeems us and keeps us in the world to be his light in the darkness, ever pointing people to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, 8-10 says it this way, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted but not forsaken. We are struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. The same body that Jesus resurrected was not just proof that he was alive. It declared the power of redemption. It would be used through all who would call upon his name. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside each and every one of us. And we need to be His mouthpiece for the world. Amen? Amen. Christ, using your redeemed but unique life, is a constant witness to both you and others that He lives through. 2 Corinthians 5.16 Therefore, from now on, We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone has taken their life and has put their complete faith in Jesus and said, I've messed up, I need you, Jesus. I'm going to appropriate your sacrifice for my life. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Our guilt is gone. Our shame is gone. The consequences for our sin are gone. Our hope has been restored. And we have been redeemed to serve the risen Savior. Amen? Amen. The appearances of Jesus did indeed give us proof of His resurrection. But they also spurred on evangelism to go and tell. We need to go and tell. They gave witness to the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has redeemed my life and your life. We need to share that. And we didn't know that. They gave credibility to the Word of God that the Word of God still speaks to us today. And his reappearances most of all gave us the promise of redemption, that no matter what we go through, we have been redeemed, and we will one day be all together as God's family in eternal heaven. Hallelujah. Our Savior lives. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the power of Your Word. We pray, God, that we would take this to heart, that we would know You that as we spend time in Your presence through worship or through prayer or through reading the Word, that there would be a burn in our hearts, that we would know that we are in Your presence and that You are changing us, that You are getting rid of all that dead uh, wood on the ground, those hurts, those, those, those pains, Lord God. We give those to You right now. We thank You for Your redemption and Your power. Lord, guys, we spend time right now worshiping You. Draw our hearts close to You. In Jesus' name, amen.